Welcome to Real Personal Finance. I'm your host, Scott Frank, CFP, CFA charter holder, and founder of Stone Steps Financial. And I'm your host, James Canole, CFP, MBA, and owner of Root Financial Partners. The premise of our show is simple. Money can be confusing, but it doesn't have to be. Our goal is to answer real personal financial questions that we hear from our clients and our listeners. Each episode, we answer one personal financial question in a clear and understandable way. Because money is a tool. And when you understand the language of money, you can make better decisions to improve your financial life. Hey, James. Hey, Scott. How's it going? Good. How are you doing? Really good. Good. We need more exciting lives. So we have something to talk about before we get into the questions, I feel like. Uh, yeah. I think we're always just well, so excited no. for the question that we just want to jump in. I mean, there's super exciting stuff. Tell okay, me about so your family. My tell me about the waves. The the exciting stuff is um, waves were up last week. Great. Um, so it was the type of waves where your heart get starts racing and you get butterflies in your stomach. Yeah, which is fun. Uh, but then also my my oldest son is on a soccer team and he was in a tournament this weekend and he got a goal. Wow, it was amazing. To wow. See. Yeah, that's awesome. How about you? I went surfing and at D Street here. Oh, and I was not ready for it. I got on a wave way too late and the wave took my board over and I literally like free drove like Superman through the air and fell on it right on my rib. And it's like still hurting. Ouch. So I think I go get something. Be careful, man. Checked. I know. I know. Get you on old man waves. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I'll, I'll, well, beacons is usually where I go. Those are my favorite slow right. moving waves. All right. But I tried to play with the big boys and I lost. Um, was that it or what? Today. Yeah, we're done. Call it. All right. Thanks for listening. Um, <laughs> and we're out. That's why we don't talk about personal stuff. We get distracted. We do. Now to the business stuff. Yes. Let's get down to it. Let's educate some people. What are we talking about today? Yeah. So this is a another episode to get everyone one step closer to being fully financially educated so that we can stop the podcast. Once want to stop? Every, once every, well, that's our goal, right? Once everyone in America is financially educated. No, they won't stop. Okay. Yeah. I don't want to stop, so hope it takes a while. So this episode, we're going to talk about um, tax loss harvesting and tax gain harvesting. Tax loss and tax gain harvesting. It sounds super exciting. It is a weird sounding thing. But let's, what is it? Doesn't that sound exciting? Harvesting? Yeah. You're from harvesting. the Midwest. It sounds like we're, from, we're using, doing something with crops. Yeah. Yeah. My brother's a, uh, in, the, in the farming agriculture business so. does he know about tax loss harvesting uh probably he should okay yeah yeah well let's teach him if not mm-hmm. um what is tax loss harvesting yeah so what what is tax loss harvesting for real okay so for real it's um james bought um uh, an index fund mm, i don't know a, a while ago and uh and it was worth a hundred dollars and now it has fallen in value or fell in value. uh, And now it's worth $500. Um, So it's down, down 50%. That's tough. I'm sorry about that. I bought it for a hundred dollars. That sounds like a gain. I'm sorry. A hundred now is 50. Okay. Sorry. I apologize. That sounds Um, like a nice loss. Yeah. That would be a really nice loss. I know. Was it a hundred? Now it's down to 50. So he lost half of his value. Ah, Um, in that moment, uh, you probably just think like, I just need to hold this forever. I don't want to sell, right? Which is one option. I'm told not to sell when it's down. Yeah. But one thing that um, one thing that he could do is he could buy a similar 
not the exact, but he could he could he could sell his fund. He could buy a similar fund, not an exact fund, but a similar one, um, with his fifty bucks, and then he can write off that loss mm. of fifty bucks on his taxes, which I like. Yeah, um, that's what tax loss harvesting is in a nutshell. Can you explain it in a better way? <laughs> no, I think that's the best possible way. I have a loss because I bought something for a hundred bucks, and now it's five hundred. And uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> yes, if you have an investment, and one key thing to note here is this: this is assuming this is an investment that's not inside a retirement plan, because anything you buy or sell inside a retirement plan, there's absolutely zero tax implications for it. Yes, this is in your brokerage account or non-retirement account. If you sell when something's down that creates a, a realized loss. Yes. Now, most people say, why on earth would I want to do that? You and Scott tell us all the time, do not panic and sell when things are down. So yes. why am I going to go and sell? Well, you're not going to sell yeah, just you're, you're to just sell. You're just kind of swapping out in a sense. Yes. Is what's happening instead. We're, we're just saying, oh, you know, I still want to hold this asset class, this type of an asset, but instead of the S&P 500 fund, I'm going to go sell the S&P 500 fund and I'm going to buy a Russell 1000 fund, which mm -hmm. is also a large cap fund in the United States, but it's different. It's not, it's an equivalent, but not the same is important. And by doing that, I get to then take that loss and write it off against my income yes. this year. Yes. Yeah, so you haven't materially changed the makeup of your portfolio at all. You still get to participate when that fund does recover, but you also get the added benefit of having a loss that can offset the rest of your income. There are some rules though. Mm -hmm. So let's say I don't own just an index and replace it with a different index. Let's say I own Apple stock and Apple stock drops 50%. Yeah. And I say, oh great, Scott and James told me I can just sell this real quick and then rebuy and now all of a sudden I get the same investment, but I get to book that loss. We actually didn't say you could buy it. I know, but I'm trying to put words in your mouth that didn't actually happen. So okay, good. what would happen in that, in that, that would be scenario? Called a wash rule. A wash rule. What does that mean? It basically means you can't buy the same or substantially identical stock within 30 days um, when you go ahead and sell. Exactly. So, so it's usually it's 30 days, but it's, you have to think of it on both sides. So it's really like 60 days. If that makes sense. Yep. Just in either direction. And forward. Yep. Yep. So I cannot go buy if I have Apple stock again and it has a huge loss. I can't sell Apple, rebuy Apple and think I'm good. The wash rule comes into play and it washes that out. Yep. That's why Scott talked about uh, owning something that's very similar. Mm-hmm. Now it's hard to do that with an individual stock because you could own a similar stock, but it's not, it's still not the same stock. It's still yeah. not the same exact company, but you can get something very close. Might be one of those times when those sector ETFs come into favor. That, that is true. We talked about that yeah. episode or two ago. Mm -hmm. um, but if you're owning an index and then buy something that's a, a very similar index, that's perfectly fine. Um, then you could even, if you wanted to sell that replacement fund and rebuy the original investment after 30 days, if you wanted to. Or you could simply keep the replacement fund and have that as part of your portfolio until you decide to swap it out at a later time. Yep. So what are the benefits of this? The biggest benefit, well, a couple of benefits. So one benefit is you, you get to, by booking losses now, we can offset potential gains in the future. So, so we're basically setting, setting losses aside and saying like, hey, we might want these in the future. That's, that's the first benefit. So 
you know, if we pick, if I make the numbers bigger for a second and um, James's $100 was instead of $100,000 and went down to 50,000. Well, if we took 50,000 and sold it, now we've booked a, a loss of 50 grand that we can use that loss in the future to offset any gains when we make rebalances or we choose to take gains just because that's a, that's a nice benefit. Yeah. Um, what else is a benefit? You can write off not just against potential capital gains, but you can also write it off against ordinary income, mm-hmm. which can be an even bigger benefit than capital gains. Mm-hmm. So right as of now, capital gains are either, well, for the most part, 15 to 20% at the federal level. Mm-hmm. There's some other stuff that you have to factor in there. But if you're going to book a loss, if I'm going to sell a stock or a fund to intentionally create a loss, I can do that to offset any capital gains, but capital gains are taxed at 15 to 20% typically at the federal level. I could instead, if I don't have any capital gains, but I still have a capital loss that I realize, I could offset ordinary income, but only up to $3,000 per year. Mm -hmm. That typically is a, is now it's a much smaller amount. There's an unlimited amount of capital gains that you can offset, but ordinary income can be up to 37% at the federal level mm-hmm. if you're in the highest income tax bracket. Yep. So if I say, okay, I have $3,000 that I can use to offset against capital gains, which is at the highest tax level is 20%, or I can offset ordinary income, which is 37% at the highest tax bracket, it's probably going to be more beneficial to offset ordinary income. Yep. Of course, it comes down to different situations. But um, you can write off up to $3,000 per year against ordinary income. And if you say, well, you just use an example of what if I booked a $50,000 loss? Yeah. I can only use 3000 of that? Yep. Well, I can only use 3000 of that this year. The yeah. remaining forty seven carries forward to next year and the year after and the year after, really until I use it up. Which is like whenever you guys, if you do ever talk to a, a financial advisor, um, you'll know how legitimate they are, in my opinion, whether by just simply by whether or not they ask you for your tax return. Um, because it tells you so many things. One of the things that it definitely tells us on Schedule D is in dog is do you have loss carry forward? Right. And we really care about that. Yes. Because um, that helps us manage your, your taxable assets efficiently. And you want to review that because some CPAs or if you're filing taxes of your own, just for, they don't include that. They don't carry it forward. Totally. They totally miss something like this. And if you're going to sell a stock for capital for tax loss harvesting and you don't carry that loss forward, you just eliminated a huge benefit. And now when you sell that stock in the future, it's going to have a lower cost basis mm-hmm. and you're going to have a f- higher gain associated with it you when you do sell. Like one accountant to the other accountant or you, you go from having an accountant to not have you self-file for a year or two and you don't realize you needed to add your loss carry forwards. And so now you... You still have loss carry forwards, but you just don't know you have them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All kinds of fun stuff with those. All kinds of stuff. You assume mm-hmm. it just happens, but there's always a human element involved and the human element can miss that. Yes. So make sure you're looking for that. Um, cool. So that's, that is tax loss harvesting and there's, there's benefits to this. You and I would probably say there's an even benefit than better. What am I trying to say? We can Bigger tongue-tied. benefit? Bigger, better, I can't Bigger, remember. better, better, better? There's another benefit yeah. that's not just tax the loss harvesting. The opposite of tax loss harvesting? The oppos- opposite of tax loss harvesting. What is that called? We call that tax gain harvesting. Ooh, tax gain harvesting. Tell me more about tax gain harvesting. Yes. Tax gain harvesting is amazing when people take a year off of work or they're in between jobs or basically like sometimes when you think like oh, it's all lemons, we can make some lemonade with if we have a taxable account. Yes. Yeah. 
And the reason why is because there's a 0% federal capital gains bracket. Mm-hmm. Um, and for joint filers, that's $80,800. And for single filers, it's $40,400. Yep. So if you have a year in which you just earn no income, you could book up to $80,000 of gains and pay no federal taxes. Yes, exactly. And what I like about that is it's not $80,800 of gross income. It's $80,800 of taxable income. Yeah. So let's assume you have itemized deductions of Mm $30,000. If that's the case, then really, if you have income that is less than $110,800 or less, you can realize a capital gain and pay $0 in federal capital gains taxes. Now, depending on your state, that may or not be the case. Say California, for example, taxes capital gains the same way they tax any other income. So that wouldn't be the case at the state level in California. But at the federal level, if you are under these thresholds, you should be intentionally realizing capital gains every single year that you can because it's just continuing to step up the basis. So in future years when you sell, the gain on those investments, the taxable gain won't be as high because you're realizing part of that gain every single year. And it's costing nothing in taxes to do so. So if we go the opposite way of of, uh, of James's uh, example before, which we've now put to a hundred thousand, if it, if he bought it a hundred grand and now it's worth you know uh, two hundred grand, and he has no income this year, he and Ashland, he could take like eighty thousand of those gains, sell the stock, turn around and buy it immediately mm-hmm. because the wash rule doesn't apply when you're booking a gain mm-hmm. and he's just locked in a new higher cost basis for his investments moving forward. Yeah. And paid no taxes on it. And paid no taxes. And so you can see here the the potential tax benefits are much greater than even tax loss harvesting are because if you're going to write off against ordinary income on tax loss harvesting, you're limited to $3,000 per year. Yeah. Whereas this, there's, there's no limit other than once you cross that $80,800 threshold for uh, taxable income. But so the things to think about here, this is usually like life transitions are happening when tax gain harvesting is occurring, right? So it's like you've taken time off to be at home with um, a newborn for the year mm-hmm. or, you know, there's there's um, some, maybe there's a, a, a need to be home because of like with COVID and everything that was happening. Some people just chose, chose not to work for a while because they had to care for family members. So it's like, what were the things? What are the things going on in your life that would make it so income goes down right now, but it may not be down forever? Yeah, or sabbatical, or even when you first retire. Like a lot of retired people, most of their income is coming from certain tax-free sources or lesser tax sources. Their taxable income is often under some under these thresholds sometimes, and so it's let's absolutely realize gains on purpose mm-hmm. because we can do so up to a certain threshold and not pay taxes. Absolutely. Now, that $80,800, that was if you are married, finally, and jointly. If you're single, it's just half of that, $40,400. And again, that is still taxable income, not not gross income. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that you'll often see here is I mentioned that this is only if you have an investment account that's not an IRA or Roth IRA. Right. When you're in these scenarios where tax gain harvesting makes sense because you're in between jobs, because you're on sabbatical, because you're retired, because whatever – what you also want to look at is those tend to also be good years to consider things like Roth conversions, mm-hmm. which we've talked about in years before or episodes before. So this is absolutely one strategy, but if you're in this scenario, there's probably other strategies as well. So make sure that 
you're kind of analyzing all of them to see what make mo- what might make most sense for you. Yeah, and the answer to that always comes back to what's most important to you. Um, what kind of a life are you trying to set up for yourself? Where are assets currently? How should they be best positioned to help you live your best life? Yeah. Agreed. Cool. Um, well, anything else on tax gain harvesting? No, it's just it's it's great to watch it happen when it can happen. It can sometimes be as you know, a kind of a a silver lining, and what can sometimes be a tough transition for people when we're looking at tax gain harvesting. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. If you can do something to offset some of the financial hardships of losing a job or being in between stuff, then it helps to lessen that blow quite a bit. Absolutely. Which is great. All right. Well, I think that's it, unless you have anything else to add. No, have a great week. That is it then. Yeah. Maybe See you all oh, next time. If Please submit questions. Oh. <laughs> How about that? Our, our goal actually is to make it so that everyone's financially literate in America. So if you have a question, please submit it. And if you like listening to us, please leave a review. Mm-hmm. somewhere so people can find us because we're serious about helping people be financially literate across the country well and tell tell your friends tell your family tell everyone uh because if we're gonna reach that many people people got to find a way to find us it's a movement man we're gonna need like a, co- a coffee tumbler soon let's make t-shirts real personal finance yeah some swag yeah we'll do something fun yeah um yeah thank you for listening tell your friends tell your family leave reviews submit questions and we'll see you all next time bye Thank you for listening to another episode of the Real Personal Finance Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and let us know by leaving a five-star review. And if you have a question that you'd like for us to answer, then head over to the Real Personal Finance website at realpersonalfinance.co. And there's a section on the bottom of each page there where you can submit your question for us to answer in a future episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon for a basis for investment decision. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, or other professional services.